this isn't typically a news kind of show. I try to talk about things that are going to last and make sense to listeners for at least a few months down the road. But there's just been so many announcements lately, and I've tried some new products. So today we're going to talk about things that are pretty current as of September 25th, 2018. I'm kind of losing my voice a little, or actually I'm regaining my voice. So Jordan, Drake, I'm going to be leaning on you today. (laughs) Oh, I got this for you. Whenever you need an episode that's not evergreen, I got your back. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Uh, You know more than me about some of these announcements, and you sound better than me uh, for all of them. So (laughs) I need you today. Hop in the passenger seat. Let's ride. All right. Well, I've I've got a long list of notes of things that we're going to talk about, but we don't have to go deep on all of them. I don't know how much you know about what, but... Let's let's start with the the, the biggest one, um, the thing that was most relevant to me this week, which is the iPhone XS. Uh, this is a little a little bit of follow up because I have since spent some time with it. I've shot a series mm-hmm. of camera tests, and I have some thoughts. Um, not right. comprehensive review thoughts, but I, I definitely am ready to talk about the camera a little. Um, what what are you shooting right now? What camera uh, phone do you carry with you? Uh, I am rocking the cutting edge iPhone 6S. Um. <laughs> That's fair. That's still still a great phone. I think there's always, the, I mean, I'm going to say this every single time it comes up, but there's always this skew in the review world towards talking the most about uh, comparing to the last year's phone, to the most recent phone. Like how far did we right. get this year? How much progress did we make? in the last 12 months. And that's never the most interesting thing to me because, you know, that's not how we upgrade. It's not how you upgrade two, three, four years. It's a lot more typical. And that's what really matters. That's what's going to happen for most people. I can say for you, this would be a pretty good upgrade. (laughs) It's funny because I'm shooting so much BTS for our show. I mean, that's mostly what my Instagram account is, is just quick grab shots I'm doing while we're up and about to let people know where we're at. Mm. So certainly this is something that would make a huge difference in my life. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like you don't use your phone. I mean, your camera phone gets put to work. Oh, it gets worked like crazy. Yeah. And I mean, it is absolutely showing its age. Yeah. You know, some people may not be aware. I recently switched jobs to one where I don't have access to absolutely any piece of gear. Right, that so, I might ever want at a given time. So the phone just kind of sadly slipped down the priorities list a little bit recently. And let's let's define that a little bit. You were at uh, the camera store TV. If people didn't instantly recognize your voice from previous episodes, right? Uh, yeah, camera store TV, and now you're at DP Review, which is um, a, a nice move sideways. Both yeah, great camera fantastic. companies, but you you guys don't do phone reviews really at DP Review, do you? Or have there been in the past? The, there was a um, subsite called DP Review Connect, which mm. um, went away, I think, last year. So they will be doing. They're just going to move phone reviews into their standard reviews as opposed to a completely separate website, right? Which I think makes the sense. plan going forward. Do, do Absolutely. They, do they shoot the charts with all the phones? I kind of I don't remember if iPhones are in there. I don't think so. I, I would have to jump on the list there and double check that. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they should, but I think maybe they don't. I don't. I don't remember. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, it still matters. It's still the, oh, the cameras most of us use all the time. Well, and I know Rishi, who's kind of their science editor, has done a ton of things about who has the better computational photography and stuff like that, which is largely how these phones are getting better. Yeah, uh, but the 
the uh, 10s is really interesting because it is actually you know as a camera an improvement as well just physically a bigger sensor yeah that's one of the most interesting things about it um uh, there's people saying this is actually uh, one of the biggest jumps in in camera performance for a number of years now and it, it, it's interesting because physically there definitely is some of the computational stuff there also is but um so far i mean i've had kind of mixed results in some areas it's really clear and in others it's um not not as obvious as as it could be but uh what we're talking about is the sensor size the the sensor has gotten 30 i think it was 32 percent bigger i think we can safely say a, a third yeah i guess i should have rounded there just <laughs> that's a giant yeah. jump and I, I think what i heard on the talk show with john gruber which is a, a great listen uh for the camera information is that they it seems likely that they were switching sensors from sony to samsung i believe hmm. which uh explains some of the other differences in the new in the new look and uh, i fix it has torn down the iphone 10s and the sensor is actually unlabeled so we may not find out who who is making that but something very different has happened i think it's that looking at parts availability the only manufacturer making a sensor of that size was samsung so well it makes perfect sense because i do think people are really looking for alternatives for sensors right now you know at a point where i think 80 percent of all cell phones have sony sensors in them and you don't want one company controlling everything you know it could very quickly turn into a monopoly and all the awfulness that that could entail in sensor size i think it's great it's one of the 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 few really physical things that matter so much mm-hmm. is, is if you make it all bigger, <laughs> it, you know, compared yeah. to computational photography, that's obviously a new place that you know, the industry is going to move, but it's a little more time tested that, you know, if you just make the whole thing a little bit bigger, you can extract a lot more quality out of similar technology. And I think just having that bigger sensor helps the computational photography a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when there is actually some semblance of depth of field control in a shot, then you can figure out where things are more accurately. Yeah, actually, an interesting one thing I saw pointed out, and I'm curious if this is why, is that the whole camera unit has moved uh, about two millimeters, just mm-hmm. enough so that iPhone 10 cases don't fit well uh they're they're an awkward fit and it's really interesting you know like that (laughs) why like why would they do that typically the phones have stayed um either exactly the same or they are more substantially different so it's the the fact that we have just this small nudging of the camera in a direction make i kind of wonder if that's because there's enough different things happening behind the lens there well, bigger sensor and wider lens, both of those are two things that in every camera are going to make it physically larger. Right, which was kind of the underreported thing from yeah. Apple, is that the lens got wider. Yeah, and I mean, this I'm very interested to see, because I was kind of amazed how people adapted to a 28 millimeter focal length over the last while. Yeah, it just became normal. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's become the new normal focal length, and everybody just intuitively knows how to use it. I find 24, I love that focal length. It's one of my favorites, especially for video. It's wonderful. But it's a it's a trickier one to photograph with, especially if you're taking a lot of shots of people and things like that. So you could always crop, but it's still the same resolution sensor. It's It's an interesting choice to me. I think there's this theme with a lot of the changes they made this year that the camera is appealing to, it's really appealing to the widest audience. And I think a lot of people have a perception of wider being better. You show them two sample photos and you say, look, see on this one, you can tell a little bit, a little bit more fit in the photo, right? You've, you've got more in the exact same frame. Oh, and sorry, I just checked. It's a 26. So from 28 millimeter to 26. Oh, okay. Actually. Um, so it's not a huge jump, but you can see. Oh, it. anyone can do 26 mil. That's an easy focal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was 24. Completely different. But, uh, but yeah, there's this perception that it, I don't know. It, it's just funny. Like when you show people before and after photos and, and they're non photographers, you know, wider seems better, more contrast seems better, more saturation, more sharpness. Like you can just turn up certain settings and people look at it and think, oh, better. Like you, yeah. you've improved um, where as a photographer, the perspective is much more like, Oh, you've, you've just made a, a choice. Yeah. You've given up one yeah. focal length for another. And now we use the camera slightly differently. I, I am curious about that since you've been shooting with it a little bit, because I've always found Apple's color science is brilliant. If you don't want to play around with it too much, um, you know, straight out of camera, I'm often surprised by what it'll throw up there because they've switched potentially away from Sony to Samsung, who knows exactly what's going on. Did you find much of a shift in how it actually is processing that? Yes. Yeah, I definitely saw uh, the much more different photos than, than I previously had. I found colors came out relatively similar. There wasn't a, it wasn't a huge jump in colors, uh, but there was, there's more of a jump in approach. Uh, Hmm. So like I was saying that, um, feels like there is less of a priority of what a professional would consider to be key characteristics of a camera with a little bit of emphasis on what a every every man every woman normal person yeah. is is going to see when they just hit the button on their phone they have with them all the time so it, it it's going to be able to save more photos in more kind of bad situations that'll turn it'll, it'll take a terrible photo and make it a bit more usable and so uh, part of that is the increased use of hdr you know they branded it smart yeah. hdr it's just doing what it did before but more yeah i've that saved so many things because i find the biggest limitation of smartphones is always dynamic range it's mm-hmm. never like i i really need more detail or whatever because i know where this stuff is mostly going to wind up but yeah, for sure and so yeah high contrast shots it'll just kill you so this is great i think what might end up happening is that professionals shooting on their phones might start reaching for third party apps a little bit more mm. uh, because it it really wants to do the smart hdr stuff often uh sometimes when i didn't really want it to so i would i would notice that there would sometimes be it would choose to increase the noise and detail in the shadows you're getting a slightly less contrasty image like there's a little less sort of punch to it but mm-hmm. you can see more of everything you know more more right. of the the total potential range 
is is like compressed into into the photo. And there were situations that I was able to get it to freak out a little bit. Um, and I had the same experience with the Google Pixel 2, where if the dynamic range was was really pretty extreme, but the phone thought it could save it, it would get this kind of fake vintage or sorry, fake HDR look where um, mm-hmm. it, it was just the shadows. You could see them being raised. You could see the noise coming back in. Yeah. And I don't love that as, as a photographer, I want to make that choice. I'm you know, for, <laughs> over HDR, my photo, I want to do it myself. I want to be the one to kind of spoil my photo. <laughs> and so uh, if, if I found it, ends up doing that often because I'm not really sure how often it's going to do it. I might more frequently lean towards launching a, a custom camera app, like you know, right. Lightroom or Halide or any number of manual control apps. Yeah. I mean, it's nice because if it does HDR it, you can always pull that back, but then there's also the possibility of introducing weird motion stuff and it not masking correctly. And all right. that. Fortunately, um, I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't see any of that. Uh, it really is capturing the different exposures very quickly. It, I, I, I didn't see any ghosting, which is nice. That's usually the the worst thing that happens with this HDR stuff. Oh, I guess it's time to upgrade. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are, well, are you going to actually? It's a good question. I, I think I, I have to. Yeah. We're at the end here. I think I've been looking at some of our notes on my cell phone now for about 10 minutes and that battery is going to go soon. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Time to upgrade it. They, they also did, by the way, they had a, a permanent price change for battery know, yeah. replacements. So like 30 bucks, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, depending if you're on in Canada or the U.S., it'll be slightly right. different but yeah. or somewhere else. But yeah, they will basically yeah, honor a lower price forever because it, it, they realized there how much it matters. There was some dubiousness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if I have more to say about it yet. I'm working on a... a YouTube video to talk about in a bit. So there'll be more there. I, I mean, I, I had hoped I could get the uh, iPhone video out now, but my voice prevented me. I, uh, uh, I really had none the other day. Like, this is kind of bad. This is like scratchy, but I like sounds weren't coming out when I talked. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good if you, there's a video that you were hoping to have out in time for this conversation that's not, because the next thing you got on your list, I have the exact same problem right now. Okay, well, I'm going to let you talk for a few seconds because uh, I'm, I'm I'm running out of it. Oh wait, no, I do. I just want to touch briefly on my list as well that I also had a chance to see an Apple Watch Series Four. Since Ooh. then, Have, do you care about these? Do you? Uh, I, I, I I'm really interested for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, just watching that their press conference there, I was like, eh, maybe maybe it's time for me to check that out as it, well. It for sure got nicer. Uh, it just looks elegant for a change, like the other one always. You know, really felt like very few advantages aside from, you know, uh, the ability to hold it up when you're on transit or something like that. Yeah, but, and I think this looks the most like a real watch mm-hmm. because just because of some of the design changes, it getting a little bit slimmer in his profile and uh, especially actually rounding of the edges of the screen, which makes complete sense now that I see it, that it is more similar to what the phones are doing. And it all just adds up to feeling much more like a non-digital watch in in a really good way. Yeah. And I always just thought I could just grab a couple elastic bands and throw an iPod Nano before they got rid of those and have a similar kind of experience. This actually is 
a good looking watch, just a, a good looking digital watch. Yeah, and I, I especially liked the the steel look this time. I mean, I've always liked the steel, but it it just feels even better now. It was, it was really nice. And I think they're constantly going back to durability in it is really smart because mm-hmm. that's always the first thing that jumps into my head with these. All right, am I ready to move on? I did. I did tweet a photo. Uh, it'd be worth um, maybe I'll I'll include a link to it in show notes where it really highlights what the difference between the iPhone XS and the iPhone 7 look like in low light. And mm. what what I what jumped out to me and I drew attention to in the screenshot is it's way sharper in low light. Some people, some of the responses I got in, in the comments were, were people asking oh. like, oh, is, is it over-sharpened? Um, you know, like, is, are they adding yeah. sharpening? And it really looks like real sharpness to me. Uh, it, yeah. You know, I, I think it's just that sensor and technology marching forward. And then you could also see a real improvement in dynamic range looking oh, through yeah. the windows. Did you, did you see the screenshot? I'm looking at it right now, actually. Just popped that up. I saw it earlier in the day, but uh, yeah, I mean, the dynamic range, again, is the one that really stands out to me. I do... Maybe find it a little oversharpened. Uh, like if I were in Lightroom right now, I'd dial that back a hair. But the, it, I mean, it's very visibly more actual detail is also lurking in there. But yeah, the dynamic range difference is well over a stop and a half, I'd say. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big jump. I mean, there there was just nothing in the window in the previous photo in the in the seven, mm-hmm. and now. There's things <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can see inside of it. And this is there's context. This is a very low, pretty dark photo. I mean, I, I kind of wouldn't even expect the HDR stuff to be still always operating in adverse situations, but it just keeps going. That's impressive. All right. So check out show notes to see that. Let's move down the list of things that you know about so you can take over some of the talking. Okay. So the first one I've got here, the EOS R is the one that I was hoping to have the full review up right now. But we uh, just keep running into weird inconsistencies with that camera. Uh, You you might notice there's a lack of full reviews outside of the recent Hawaii event. You know, a lot of people dumped what they would call a review based on that straight up. But uh, we've been playing with it for a while now. It's a full production camera. And just weird inconsistencies with autofocus um, in terms of photo and video. Uh, which are really surprising because that's generally where Canon's pretty bulletproof. And that's something that kind of jumped out to me with, you know, Canon's always been very reluctant to issue firmware updates. They've only done it two major times that jumped to my mind, the uh, 5D Mark II and the the original 7D, because their cameras tend to ship pretty solid, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't generally add features. They only issue them for bug fixes. This one feels very rushed to market, and it was very telling when we were there that they were like, this is the first camera that we're really committing to a series of regular firmware updates for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and as soon as I heard that, I'm thinking like Fujifilm, where we're seeing major features added. But uh, looking at some of the feature list, I think a lot of it's just stuff that should have been there at right. launch. You know, these are going to be hitting people like they're hitting stores right now in Europe. So uh, it's it's got a ways to go. Well, I guess let's hold off a little bit on the things that you don't you don't have a really firm grasp on yet. What can you clearly? Uh, what do you know about this camera at this point? Like, what can you tell for sure from the time you spend with it? 
I, the big thing is this feels exactly like a DSLR when you grab it. Uh, and I think that's exactly what they were going for. You know, it's slightly lighter than you know, a 6D Mark II, but the grip on it, um, the whole size of it, even though it's that smaller flange on it, it's the same battery. Everything just feels exactly like a DSLR. And their whole design philosophy with this wasn't similar to what uh, like Fuji, or uh, not Fuji, sorry, uh, Nikon, I really think wants people to move from DSLRs to mirrorless in the near future. Yeah. Canon's is add a mirrorless to your DSLR kit is really their idea behind it, mm. it seems. Uh, and it feels like a 60 Mark II in a lot of ways, but with a really lovely electronic viewfinder. I really got an impression looking at the Canon compared to, say, what Sony offers, that it, it would feel like less of a jump moving mm-hmm. from a larger DSLR to the R, um, which, which is funny. It's like you just take out the DSL and, and now you yeah. get the R. Um, it's it, it feels like it would just be more of an intuitive uh change like it is a more of a gradual step in that direction well and the thing to bear in mind too nikon did something very similar it's all the same menu systems and everything like that Um, and they're both using when you're using the camera it's the same as using a dslr in live view is really what it feels like i feel bad too Uh, the interface and everything i put the i put the canon up at the top and then i put the nikon's actually at the end of our list and that's because I forgot about it. <laughs> but you know, well, you got ca- glass in one mount, right? I yeah, it, it it came out first. Um, overall, what what are your impressions of comparing these two the, the two mirrorless systems we've been waiting for for years? What's your overall impression of them? Well, I think I, I do think both of them feel a little rushed to market. Honestly, I think the A seven three scared everybody. Yeah, five years but, later, they're rushed to market. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they'd had enough time, but mm-hmm. um, we were saying when we were there, the big thing to me is the Nikon body felt quite finished and like there was quite a bit of thought put into it. I love the grip, but it still feels like a smaller mirrorless alternative to it uh, in terms of the sensors. I mean, they're very modern, I believe, Sony sensors. We haven't confirmed that yet, but image quality, especially on all we've really tested is the uh, Z7 and it's spectacular. But the lenses were quite a disappointment. They're sharp, but lots of chromatic aberration. Um, some of the ugliest out-of-focus rendition I've ever seen on a mm-hmm. lens. Um, kind of feels like a like a third-party lens, or actually quite a bit like a Hasselblad X1D lens, where it's like, yeah, it's sharp. It's very sharp, but nothing else is good on it. That's kind of how we felt when we were looking at these. Where the Canon, the body feels very to me very slapped together, but the lenses they brought out are spectacular. That 51.2 is absolutely gorgeous. The 28.70 is a whole new class of full-frame lens. I am glad um, that you committed to Zed. <laughs> yes, uh, we're not going to let that stand. Uh, it was great. We actually got a message from Nikon afterwards. They're like, we're getting too much blowback on this. You guys can call it Zed if you have <laughs> and, it And it's all coming from Chris Nichols. <laughs> exactly. That was... That was his hill he was willing to die on. That's funny, yeah. But tell me more about the actual lens issues. Like, do you think this will keep professionals away and hobbyist shooters? I mean, how how bad how bad do you think it really is? And is this definitive already at this point? Are you sure it's a really serious long term problem? Well, I've never seen lenses 
switch from pre-production to production in terms of performance. You know, maybe like autofocus speed, but actual optics, I've never really seen a change there. But I don't have a production Z7 here yet. That should be coming in this week. Mm. So, yeah, I don't want to make any definitive statements on it. The Canon, the two lenses we tested were production. But I don't think it's as much of an issue for Nikon because, I mean, you're a guy with Canon lenses and a Sony system. And all those adapters aren't bulletproof, but they've become somewhat functional in the last few years. Where Nikon shooters haven't really had any options. No one's made a mount adapter that works for them yet. So I think, based on talking to people working at the camera store, we're seeing a whole bunch of Nikon people buying that camera body only with an adapter. Um, mm. So they get all those great mirrorless benefits, you know, being able to shoot video with the viewfinder, the lighter weight, all that. But the Canon seem to be going out more with the lenses. Um, so both strategies kind of seem to be working. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of Nikon replacing their lenses very quick, similar to what we saw with uh, Sony. You know, that 2470 Zeiss, everyone's forgotten that that thing existed. Now, I don't even know what you're talking group. about. So. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. It was an F4 zoom that okay. they launched very early on because they needed a 2470. But, you know, it was not a fantastic lens, and they've replaced it with better ones now in the same price point. And I think that's what we'll see with Nikon. I just think the initial lenses are kind of kind of a dud unless you just need sharpness 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 and the tough thing now is good lenses are just starting to become expected mm -hmm. we, we really went through a lens lens revolution in the last few years that i think we are all just taking for granted i think we're forgetting to appreciate what a huge jump in image quality we had where suddenly yeah. Sigma become became amazing, um, set mm -hmm. new standards at low prices. And then Sony came out of nowhere and had a whole lineup of, of really impressive lenses yeah. and without cranking prices up either uh, in uh, a few cases they did, but they seem to have shied away from that now though. Like the 2414 I tested last week is dramatically less money than the Canon and Nikons. And I'd say it's a better lens. Oh, is it less money? How much is it? Uh, Canadian is 1700, I believe uh, as okay, opposed yeah. to 21 and 2300. Yes. Yeah, uh... I have the version one of the Canon 2414 and it was, it was definitely over 2000. But I've actually I've really come to love that focal length. I, it's funny. I was I, I had that lens listed to sell for a little while, and, it, and nobody was really interested. I think because it's so expensive for what it is. So then I got it back and I started shooting with it, and I love it. Twenty four one four is great. Yeah, if you really want to talk about the shallow depth of field of full frame. That's one of my favorite focal lengths to really demonstrate that is a yeah. wide angle with shallow depth of field. For environmental portraits, it's really fun to work with um, and has a very unique look where, you know, a lot of the time, if you're looking in telephoto focal lengths, you can get for smaller sensors, very fast lenses, but an ultra wide angle with shallow depth of field is a very distinctive look that's pretty much just full frame and medium format. And I really came to appreciate it because it's, when you use it at normal YouTuber distance, so mm -hmm. a talking to camera from you know, three feet away, that gives you that full effect in a really strong way. So uh, I, I don't I don't use it that often because usually I'm shooting on my Sony and I need the autofocus. So I, I only use it on my Canon. 
But, you know, when it's got the like facial tracking enabled and it's able to keep me pretty in focus at 1.4 yeah. um, and it looks really cool. Like I'm so close to the camera and everything is so blurry in the background. It's a great look. Yeah. And you get that wonderful sense of depth too. Do you actually have any of Sony's G Master lenses? I do not. I have been very conservative about purchasing Sony glass, especially expensive Sony glass. Mm-hmm. I um, I still only have the 28 millimeter 2.0, which mm-hmm. uh, often people are asking. I what love. I, yep. Yeah, so often people ask what I use for my YouTube videos, and that is at least maybe half of my shots are that lens. Then I have the 10 to 18, which is a cropped lens, and I basically use right. that for my yep. selfie vlogging stuff, and that's it. Those are all the Sony lenses I have. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, when they're looking between the lines, um, there's not that much incentive to go with the native glass because they're still they followed that Sigma tactic, which is I don't care if they're big, we're going to make them sharp and beautiful, and that's yeah. absolutely worked. But they seem to have kind of turned a corner in the last little bit um, because they're focusing on making smaller, lighter lenses a little more. And the 24 is two-thirds the size of the Canon and Nikon equivalents, oh, even less the Sigma. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it in real life, so I didn't realize that. That would be very nice. Yeah, for gimbals, I think oh, it's gonna be, they're yeah. going to be all over the place. Ooh, that'd be nice. Get, I, get I really agree with Sony focusing a bit more on that. I, it's, it's what feels right with those cameras. Huge <laughs> glass is always just kind of awkward. This episode is brought to you by Setapp. Now, you might already have most of the applications you feel like you need on your Macintosh. You know, a lot of us use the Adobe Suite, and um, that's the subscription we just kind of swallow every month because we feel like we need it. But then there's just all these other supplemental apps on the Mac that have been spread around the Internet, created by amazing developers doing great work, but they're, they're all over the place. For one thing, it's hard to find them. Like to, to, to have a recommendation for something amazing like Trip Mode, an app that I use constantly when I'm traveling, which I am right now. I happen to be in New York. And uh, occasionally, I did it today, I have to tether to my phone. Trip Mode will lock down the internet usage of any apps that you want so that you're only allowing certain apps to use your data. I didn't know about this until somebody finally recommended it to me, but I could have been using it for years. Setup brings so many of those incredibly useful apps together in one place in a very simple subscription that lets you access any of them at any time. So they're kind of already on your computer. And even better, it lets you discover these apps. I mean, how long was I going wasting tons of bandwidth without trip mode or so many more? Another one that I like is Endurance. I've been using it lately to preserve Battery power, I didn't know about that until setup. Downy, that helps me download YouTube videos. I do that when I'm like editing them into my videos or you know, showing keynote highlights from Apple. I can use it to download up to 4K versions of files online. There are so many, over a hundred different apps inside of setup that are incredibly useful. And I really appreciate Setup for supporting the podcast. And if you want to know more about it, go to stpp.co slash Stallman, and you can get your free trial started right now. Speaking of huge glass, the, getting back to the Canon, yes. the EOS R, um, some of that stuff looks monstrous. The 28, or sorry, what's the focal length? 20. 
28 to 70 F2. Okay, there we go. It's every bit as ridiculous as it sounds yeah, in your it, hand. It's like, it's much thicker than my arm. <laughs> Is it crazy heavy, too? It's it's a big lens, yeah. It feels, I don't know what I'd equate it to. Maybe like a, like a 200 F2 or something like that. Wow. Um, but it's it feels enormous, um, which we've always said. If someone made F2 standard zooms, they would be enormous. Uh, this proves that right, but they're not made for the EOS R. Like, there, no one is going to be buying this. I think it's going to be like thirty five hundred Canadian to slap it on a two thousand dollar camera. You know? What what is the mount on that though? I thought it like really was being made for the EOS R. Oh, it is. It's in the <laughs> it's in that mount absolutely, mm-hmm. but it's clear that they've got a bigger, more professional body on Around the way. The that's right that this is designed for. I think they're just going to basically duplicate their full-frame DSLR lineup. So we'll see a 5D Mark IV version in the R's that's bigger, chunkier, um, feels better sealed. This really, the um, EOS R feels like the 6D in their lineup. You know, right. it does still feel quite plasticky, quite light, and it doesn't balance at all with those bo- with those big lenses. Uh, I was also interested to see the new 50 millimeter because I'm on record on this podcast. If you go back to the episode where I was talking to the brotographer, I complained a lot about the traditional Canon 51.2, which I had for a while and sold and was it's really so never dated. satisfied with. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was always overpriced and of low quality and, we, weirdly, that would seem to go on unacknowledged. People would, I think, just buy the lens and be so they spent so much on it, and the specs are so exciting. You'd mm-hmm. kind of overlook, like, oh, wait, this isn't very sharp, and there's yeah. tons of chromatic aberration. And the motor takes forever to get where you want it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I think it was five years ago you were on the camera store TV YouTube bitching about that lens. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. When we, when the Sigma 514 first came out. I'll never stop bitching about it apparently. So I wasn't expecting great things, but then the new 512 is oddly enough noticeably bigger, quite a bit longer design on it. It's a little bit heavier, but optically it is phenomenal, even wide open. I know on DP review they just posted their sample gallery and it lines up perfectly with what I've found. It is a sharp sharp lens well yeah so what do you think of it next to like let's not compare so much to the old canon because who cares anymore the, yeah. the sigma though is the new standard for 50 millimeters how does it stack up there if if you stopped this guy down you know two-thirds of a stop i guess i really do think the canon would very slightly outperform it i actually preferred the out-of-focus rendition from the canon a little uh, bit all right but we don't stop these things down uh what do they look like at 1.4 Oh, that's what I at one point four because oh, remember the Canons are fifty one too. So oh yeah, yeah right. So when you match bit. them, yeah. you'd say okay, right? Yeah. And I mean, the case with the old ones that at the Sigma at one point four would be uh, sharper than the old Canon at you know one point eight or two point oh. So. Oh yeah, f two at least. No, I would say the Sigma is still going to be a hair sharper at one four than the Canon at one point two. But I mean, at one point two, it's worlds better than what we were seeing with the. Uh, 51 too. All right. Previously. All right. That's yeah. cool. Uh, it's a great lens. You'll have to play with it. Uh, well, um, mine will definitely... be back from Germany sometime soon <laughs> next week. <laughs> uh, what are your other thoughts just about the specs of this camera and the approach? Obviously, there's some things to complain about on the video side, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, do you have an overall 
thought looking forward about, uh, you know, per, um, performance glitches aside, maybe they're going to yeah. improve it. Just, what do you think about how they decided to do this camera? Well, I think the mount is very smart. Um, and the stuff that's a long-term solution is they're consistently great ideas, like having a control dial on every lens, um, you know, that I set to ISO and I loved that just having it right at your, on your left hand while you're shooting. It's a really weird feature. I mean, I keep forgetting that they even did that. I, I think it's great. Uh, Nikon did a similar thing where if you're in autofocus, your manual focus dial will become whatever you want it to be. Um, you know, exposure comp or whatever. The one thing that I would really love to see that no one's allowed you to implement yet would be to make that dial your autofocus responsiveness, I think would be super smart mm-hmm. for video or photo work because you can customize how quickly it'll jump from subject to subject and things. Just to be able to quickly spin that on the fly, I think would make all of that so much more functional. I mean, let it do anything. Why limit it? Yeah, and that's uh, something initially we were like, oh, this looks so customizable. Look at all these custom buttons. But Canon really restricts what you can use all of them for. Uh, it's not actually the most customizable camera out there. Right. And we've got a very cropped video features. Yeah, the video's really rough cropped. on it. <laughs> yeah. it's So a lot of people are saying, well, what do you expect? They took the old 5D Mark IV sensor. Um, and I get that. It looks like 5D Mark IV image quality to me. But the thing that's so frustrating with this camera is it's just underpowered in the processor. You'll turn on a feature and it'll disable other features, mm. clearly just because the processor can't handle it. You know, if you start rolling video, you're going to lose your histogram, for example. You know, we found consistently when we had digital stabilization turned on, the video autofocus suddenly wasn't as good because it's working that processor too hard. It just feels like... This camera is completely underpowered for what it's capable of. Right. Maybe they were trying to keep the price down in a way that we're going to suffer a little bit for. Yeah. And I'm surprised because it's Digic 8. This is their latest processor. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we'll see. I mean, it might be just another case of Canonitis, and it's going to be uh, a follow-up body that'll address all of these issues because there certainly seems to be plenty of room for another camera up in the line. Well, so my initial reaction to this camera was mixed, but relatively negative because yeah. of, especially because of the video features and comparing it directly to the Sony A7 III, which is is what I'm using and have been so impressed by. And I, actually, I keep realizing I haven't I haven't really reviewed it anywhere yet. Like I haven't gone deep mm-hmm. on my final impressions since I, since I really like have put it to use. But but anyway, I've just there've been so many positive things about it that it's um, the Canon feature list just really fell short. Yeah. So that that was my first impression hearing about the Canon. But I did come back around to thinking, you know, I still think of the five D very favorably. I have a lot of mm-hmm. good things to say about it, even though it has all those same trade offs. So am I just being too hard on the Canon R because I'm only comparing it to the Sony? And since it is similar to a 5D Mark IV, but has a few advantages. You know, am I using the right yardstick? Um, yeah. But I don't know. Am I, am I crazy? Especially in terms of, yeah. if you think of this primarily as a stills camera, which is, yeah. is how I look at the, the Mark IV. Well, the major thing that you'll find a discrepancy with is just the autofocus and continuous with it, because you're using the live view focus system on it. And the uh, dual pixel has always been 
considered fantastic, especially for video. It's extremely accurate, but not too many people have accused it of being too fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do find, you know, if you've got a fast moving subject, a lot of the time it'll actually overestimate how fast your subject's moving. And we found it front focuses quite a bit. And then in continuous mode, if you want um, focus confirmation, it shoots three frames per second, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know, so does the medium format camera I just looked at a few days ago. So uh, it is not class leading. You can shoot at five frames per second and it did a fairly good job, but your hit rate will certainly drop if you do that. Right. And if you shoot at the full eight frames per second, it's just a slideshow. There's no live view through the viewfinder at all. So it sounds like nobody would really want to, not not nobody, I, I, I know people are going to, but um, there would be some steps back to go from a 5D. Yeah. And that's, I think, why they're positioning this as add it to your DSLR bag seems to be their strategy. So you get, you know, a lot of people do want a camera with dual pixel autofocus, full frame, and an electronic viewfinder. I get it. I I love the size. I mean, that that seems kind of worth it. But I've been looking more closely at the performance of the dual pixel autofocus on my 5D lately. And it's not, I mean, I know it is the best <laughs> in ways. Like it, it works a little better than the Sony in, in a lot of situations, but that also doesn't mean it's perfect. And there are times that it does worse than the, wait, what do you call traditional autofocus? So, you know, when you look through a viewfinder. Yeah, your contrast detect. Or, yeah. Oh, phase detect. Yeah, through the viewfinder. Yeah, yeah phase detect. And um, it, it just sometimes it really can't keep up and I need to switch back to the traditional one. Like if I'm shooting through the back of the screen on my 5d, even though it is really good, it just gets things wrong. I mean, so a really common example of where I need to switch is shooting people full length so that their face is a small portion of the frame, Um, you know, starts getting down to being like, wait, how do I, I was going to say an inch, but an inch in what metric? Yeah, <laughs> you know, ten percent of the screen or less um, mm-hmm. is very clearly still a face, but the autofocus starts to drop it and ignore it, and will yeah. then start to miss what your focal point is. It'll it'll start getting confused with full length humans. Yeah. And I have some full body shots. You'll see it when this episode drops, where it's just a standard full body shot, and you can see the autofocus just hunting back and forth and back mm-hmm. and forth, jumping to the background. Um, I'm gonna. With the disclaimer that I have not fully finished testing the Nikon Z7, but I will say on this, my impression is Nikon has the best video autofocus right now, officially. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I was floored with that Z7. We did some bike tests on it and just walking around doing stuff that the Canons really struggle with, like you were saying, where they're small in the frame, but moving back and forth slightly. The Nikon just held on like crazy. I was very impressed by it. Well, that's a comparison I shouldn't forget to make. Uh, okay, yeah, we compared to the Sony and to previous Canons, but what about these two cameras? How do you feel like they stack up next to each other? Image quality I'll give to the Nikon, as <laughs> it, just purely on the camera sensor terms, because I was disappointed with those lenses. But, uh, you know, the Canon 5D4 wasn't class-leading image quality when it came out, and it's still certainly not. Uh, where the Nikon is using the D850 sensor, which we loved. You know, they say it's a new sensor, and uh, there's some impressions that it might be even slightly better, but it is the gold standard for image quality in 35 mil right now. And I'm sure the Z6 is going to be quite similar to the A7 III image quality, which I love as well. Well, this is such a gear-heavy episode. I, I yeah, hope people out there are shopping for a new camera. <laughs> 
it's just so much getting dropped right now Um, yeah it's and i feel like i had some catching up to do too it's been it's been a really busy year like there was just a bit of a backlog of things that needed to come out and Mm -hmm. now it's happening um it's been a fun month there was some news today uh, as as of as of recording today and you have info about it um do you maybe want to take the lead here what do you want to talk about first uh let's go panasonic hit me what happened Uh, So it's been rumored for a while, and it's been driving me crazy sitting on this info, but Panasonic is getting into full-frame cameras. Boom. Which I think makes absolute perfect sense. Yeah. Um, Because I've always found, you know, the big three players, Canon, Nikon, Sony, APS-C for most people has been a something that you start with and you step up and move to full-frame when you get serious. Uh, And I know so many people, myself included, who wound up getting smaller Micro Four Thirds systems. So they had their small compact backup body. So this is really interesting to me because I could see a lot of people running both systems, which we don't see with APS-C and full frame a lot of the time. Uh, I think it's a very smart move on their Mm -hmm. part because you've got a huge difference in image quality jumping from Micro Four Thirds to full frame, but also the size of your kit. Uh, It seems like a really smart decision. But the most exciting thing to me is Canon and Nikon announced their cameras. And the first question I asked both of them as soon as they'd come out is, are you opening this mount to third parties? Because you mentioned Sigma started the lens revolution going on. And both Canon and Nikon are keeping their lens mounts closed. So it's going to take years and reverse engineering before we get third party options. Uh, what Panasonic's doing is they have Leica and Sigma as partners from the get-go, and they're making it an open mount. So we should see boatloads of third-party options as soon as this thing's available. Yeah, that's crazy. That's really, really it's interesting smart. news. And it does seem like all of the main criticisms that people have been leveling at the Canon and Nikons, they just took directly to heart and said, all right, you definitely need dual card slots. We'll give you one of the best cards and a normal card. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ergonomics, um, I mean, you've spent a little bit of time with like a GH5 or a G9, I'm sure. Uh, how do you re- like the re- feel? Relatively brief, I've got to say. Okay. The, the most time I spent was with that. So wait, no, I had a GH something. I had an older one. I haven't used anything for about seven years. So Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't have current opinions about Panasonic. Yeah, ergonomically, I love their DSLR-style bodies. I think they're insanely well-designed. The grips feel great, but they're still small and light. So I'm excited to see that move forward. And again, I haven't got my hands on that. Um, You know, my wife's in Germany right now. Hopefully, she's had a chance to play with it. But uh, just looking at it, again, as a spec list and what they're trying to do in terms of no handicapping of the video features... And especially that open lens mount, I think, is very, very smart. And, and they're a, actually launching it with a 70 to 200, which is right. every professional photographer needs that lens. Why Canon and Nikon are saving that for next year just seems crazy to me if well, it's going to be a primary system. And a huge advantage over, I think, over the Canon is the dual stabilized as well. The lens and the sensor are stabilized, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, they already, we know how that system works. It's phenomenal. It's the second best to Olympus's implementation. So uh, I think that's very promising. And because it's a big mount, that sensor will hopefully have some room to move around. I think Sony is really hamstrung by having the smallest mount. They can't physically move that sensor around very much. This is going to be a tough time to shop for cameras. I, with seeing all these releases, all I could think is, 
I don't know what I'm going to recommend people buy anymore. I have no <laughs> idea. It's getting crazy out there. Just Fuji X-T3 for everything. Oh, okay. Not to jump subjects, but God, I'm loving that camera. Uh, and, well, I didn't write that on my list. What do you, what do you want to say about it? Uh, as good as a GH5 for video capture in a lot of ways, but it's also oh, wow. a killer photo camera, and it's a lot less expensive than most of the competition. So That's a lot of the reason that I haven't been able to ignore Panasonic in the same way that I have the um, Nikon, you know, Mm. Nikon is always just, it's so close to, to Canon that I never feel the need to spend much time learning about it because I just, I know I don't, I would never need it as well. Right. Right. I'm never going to have it alongside a Canon. It's not even an option. And this isn't at all to diss Nikon. They're, they're doing great work. But it's it's so similar that it wasn't interesting. Whereas Panasonic has just been, it, it's hard to miss it in the video world. They've made yeah. such a mark and, and carved out such a serious niche for themselves that a lot of people have picked up Panasonic. And it sounds like they might be able to continue doing that in the full frame world now. Yeah, I've always found I love the experience of shooting stills with Panasonic. So I use my GH5 as a stills camera all the time. It's great. But it was a little hampered by image quality. So when that excuse is taken away of needing that larger sensor, I think people will actually be kind of blown away by how much progress Panasonic's made. Because filmmakers have seen it over the last few years. That's why we keep talking about it. They just keep listening to their pros and implementing stuff that's useful and making it feel better refresh faster, just feel very seamless. So having that experience with something with a great, big, beautiful, sounds like that Sony sensor is, I think, going to be a huge deal. The only thing I'm concerned about is I hope that the autofocus sees a nice bump as well. I'm worried we might all start getting a bit of a gear exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. There's there's just so much to know and so many things to follow. Now. I mean, once you brought up the Fuji and I realized I hadn't even written it down, I'm like... Man, I don't even know what articles to read right now. I, how many <laughs> review videos do I need to catch up on? It's crazy. I, I mean, I'll, I'll quick. Uh, it, there's so much out there. And how often did we see systems be released? Yeah. Know? It was Canon did one 30 years ago. Nikon did one 60 years ago. Uh, it's not. It's weird that we're seeing all of this in this one time. And it is so much to digest, which is why. Yeah, I switched over to DP review right in time to never sleep again when this all came along. So, do, do you have some more to add about the Fuji? I, I get criticized sometimes for not talking Fuji enough. So, I, I will say uh, the photo autofocus on it has made huge strides, and their eye detect has improved dramatically. I don't think it's quite as good as an A seven three, but it's definitely the second best out there right now. And it's still an APS-C camera, right? Yeah, still APS-C, right. uh, and they have a really nice lineup of lenses and that's i think the biggest drawback to APS-C from Canon Nikon Sony they don't make many lenses tailored specifically for that format so yeah. you inevitably wind up throwing bigger more expensive full frame glass on them well, here they're less expensive yeah, small lenses that's something i really like about the the fujis when i have used them so i had the uh, X, ex1 is that what it's called? XE1, yeah. XE1, I always get the order wrong uh, which was you know one of the first ones of, of those sony's and i l- I really loved the format of it, like the physical camera in my hands and the ratio of size of the lens to camera and the the build quality was all fantastic. And I I think it was a little too early on them. Just the focus Mm -hmm. and performance was a little too slow for me. 
The interface was all buggy and wonky too for the yeah, Gucci's yeah. Bella. Yeah, it was really detailed. This feels very polished for the first time, I think, in the line where yeah. everything works the way I want it to. I don't feel like there's many hiccups. You can punch in while you're recording in 4K in full resolution. No one's done yeah, that yet. Fuji cool. cracked the code. And I just before we move on, just want to throw out that this is the nicest straight out of camera profile I have ever shot. Uh, we just put up a um, a preview of another camera. We'll talk about the um, Fuji 50R medium format camera. And that is completely ungraded what I threw up online because uh, we had one day to shoot it and get it up. Um, so take a look at that if you want to see the quality of it. But I think it's just beautiful. I love the sentence threw up online. Um, I'm, yes. doing, I'm doing that constantly. Uh, cool. <laughs> uh, give, give me a link so I can throw that in the show notes. Throw that up in the show notes. Yeah. The, so uh, do, you, do you have some more things to tell us about the GFX 50R? I actually, I didn't really, there was so much to follow. I didn't really follow yeah. the um, spec list of it. There was sensor stabilization in a medium format. Did I hear that right? Well, um, so they launched the 50R, which is just a rangefinder version, uh, a budget medium format camera of their 50S. Um, so same sensor, same processor, just a smaller, lighter rangefinder oh, okay. style body. And you can kind of check out our impressions of that uh, went up today as well. Um, the big thing for me, is, well, it's twofold, is they announced that they're developing a 100 megapixel GFX body. Um, with sensor stabilization and phase detect autofocus, Uh, which has never been seen before. And they're partnering with Capture One, my favorite image processing software. So this is the first medium format camera besides a phase that's supported in Capture One now. That's pretty crazy. That is a very serious advantage. I mean, I know for a lot of pro shooters, that's the only software option out there. They They do not use Lightroom. They don't use... Anything else, um, they go straight to capture one. So Yeah, and uh, for them to go with who I think is actually probably the biggest threat of the medium format companies right now is Fuji. For them to partner up with them is kind of an odd decision, I think. Uh, what kind of price is there on this? Oh, 4500 yeah. I'm seeing U.S. Yeah, 45 U.S., for the, which is crazy for a medium format camera, how much it's come down. No, that's price. great. That's, that's exactly how it is. I think I brought that up on the show before, that I want medium formats to be priced like they were in the olden days, in the film yeah. days, where shooters would just have both formats. Like it was it made sense to have you have a medium format and you have a 35 millimeter camera mm-hmm. because there's uses for both and you can afford to have both. It yeah. it we hasn't been I mean I understand why we ended up in this situation that they were priced out of average photographers reach you i mean average professionals like people that do this full-time for a living couldn't think about buying a medium format sensor because it was it just didn't make any economic sense but yeah this is that's a you know 4500 people could make that work it's not it's not impossible it's not 10 grand well and also it comes at a perfect time where marketing is getting more square every day so uh, actually, the aspect ratio that used to be standard for commercial photography is making more and more sense all the time. Yeah, I uh, really like that ratio a lot. Yeah, it, it's great to work with. You're cropping way less than some other cameras. But my main concern with it still kind of stands that this is, it's a. I mean, you shot with the Pentax 645Z. It's beautiful image quality off of it. But if you shoot a Nikon D810 at 64 ISO, it gets two-thirds of a stop better at 64 ISO, you're essentially getting five less megapixels 
better low light performance mm-hmm. and yep. the same dynamic range out of it, where is your medium format ex- advantage at that point? Yeah, I we, really think we need to see this new sensor. We're at a really weird crossover point where 35 got so much better, it is not clear anymore. And uh, it was DP Review, I think, that did a really great break. T- this was a while ago, so I don't remember if it was DP yeah. Review. That breakdown yeah, of, like, of uh, depth of field and... And when we talked about it on uh, cameras or whatever, the, the older camera podcast I was doing, that um, you will basically effectively get same amounts of depth of field, which was always what I considered to be the huge advantage of medium mm-hmm. format. At, uh, I mean, I, the math kind of screws me up a bit, but um, yeah. yeah, basically that you would just start running out of advantages, which is kind of sad, but. Well, and the big thing to remember is this camera is using the smallest medium format standard sensor. If we were to mm. shoot 120 film and compare it to 35, absolutely, those advantages still stand much more yeah. dramatically. Right. But this is not that much bigger than a 35 millimeter. The main advantage to it, uh, which we pointed out, is if you like the square ratio, yeah, you're cropping your images a lot less. And you will wind up with more resolution at the end of the day. I really but, like that. I mean, I've thought a lot about how I would love a square sensor sensor, or even a round sensor. <laughs> oh, I want a round. That makes so much sense. No, it really does. Like it sounds, it sounds kind of funny, but I would, I would love to be able to shoot in that form. I mean, that was one of the most interesting things about Snapchat Spectacles was their implementation of recording round circular video. Have did you ever watch it or or try it in any way? I I haven't. No, it's really cool because when you're watching on your phone, you can just spin your phone. And it just moves through the image, like the the edges of the image just kind of, the orientation isn't changing. You're just seeing a different window into what's happening. And that's not necessarily the most practical use of a circular image, but having that flexibility that you can just see all aspects of it, it's so great. I love it. Yeah, I think someone's going to move. It's probably harder to make a sensor that way, but someone's going to get there eventually. Uh, I think we'll see Square fairly soon. And even Panasonic's making multi-aspect ratio sensors that are a lot closer to that. Wait, what? uh, Panasonic have some sensors that aren't in their traditional micro four-thirds format. Um, They're a little bit wider. Same thing with the GH50S. So there was less resolution drop as you moved through different aspect ratios it's very close to a square yeah. um which cool. i thought was wonderful and i would like to see something like that in more cameras all right what do we have next written down here we've got new sigma lenses yeah yeah 40 millimeters just keeps coming do you yeah. you love 40 right You're i do i do but i kind of don't um i loved 40 because of a specific lens like i really fell in love with the canon 40 millimeter 2.8 pancake lens and I don't know if I've talked about it on this show. I talked about it on cameras or whatever a lot. <laughs> but uh, I was using that lens really heavily for a while. It was it's like $130 or something like that. Super cheap, really sharp, and very small. And it, that made me really appreciate the 40 millimeter focal length. Like right. I just found it a little more useful than either 50 or 35. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. But um, I, I, I was a little bit surprised to see them doing a full on 1.4 so that now you have this perfect radiant in the Sigma lineup of 35, mm-hmm. 40, 50 with no, no difference other than the focal length. Yeah. I, I was hoping for maybe a little smaller 
body on it as well. But I, I'm a huge fan of that focal length. I find with a 50, I'm stepping back a fair amount. Yeah. Um, you know, to get closer into that 35, but that 35, I, I really think it's a sweet spot. And the Panasonic 20 mil really sold me on that because it cropped out to a, 50, a 40 mil. Yeah, it might uh, I think it's a great underrepresented focal length. I just wish the lens had a, like something else to make it stand out, like maybe closer focusing or, yeah, like you said, nice. a smaller body. But it might be the case that a lot of people that aren't planning on ever getting a full kit of primes, like you're never mm-hmm. going to have. The, you know, 24, 35, 50, 85, right. 135, whatever your kit is, you, yeah. you you don't ever plan to have all of those primes. Just yeah. having one, the 40 might be a, the best choice there. Yeah, if I had to pick three in the lineup, I'd probably do 24, 40, 85. That would be a great yeah. workhorse prime yeah, setup. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then there's also the 20, oh man, this gradient. 2414, or sorry, 2814. Uh, does Sigma, yep. Sigma doesn't have a 2414, do they? They do, yes. Oh my God. Okay, so they got anything. A lot but, of close focal lengths now. Yeah, crazy. And same kind of thing, right? It's a similar size. This 28, it doesn't look much smaller or anything, does it? Uh, no, it still looks very similar to the 24. Again, I haven't got my hand on it yet, but nobody's saying it seems dramatically smaller. Uh, where this is really coming from, I think, is everybody wants the 10 lens cinema package, and mm-hmm. Sigma use their photo lens designs for their cinema lenses. So I think that's really what inspired them to do these focal lengths that are very close to what they already have. I feel ashamed for not knowing this, but what is the standard 10 lens cinema package? I, I, I don't know if I could name them correctly. I think I did a couple wrong. Uh, okay, I got my fingies out. So, 18, uh, 21, 24, 28, 35, 50, 85, 100, 135, 180 would be your classic. Okay, cool. I didn't, I didn't realize something was like 180. I didn't know that was common at all. Yeah, it's a super speed. Well, that, yeah, that totally makes sense that they would want just a really complete lineup but, um, I, I mean, what I'm excited for is to see smaller lenses from Sigma. They've yeah. said they're going to do that for Sony eventually. They don't <laughs> seem to be in any rush. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what it'll be. Um, and it would be just for Sony, right? Well, that's the thing, because they have the standards for Sony now. And I think they'll probably make them for those Leica designs pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But Sony's put themselves in a bit of an awkward position there where they have the smallest lens mount of any of the big boys now. Because Panasonic's 44, Canon's 44, Nikon's 45 millimeters. Or, sorry, 54 and 55. I'm sorry. Um, so Sony's is quite a bit smaller. So to really take advantage of those bigger mounts on some of the other lens lineups they're going to have to make unique formulas for sony which is a tough place for them to be in but sony's got by far the biggest installed base so i'm sure we'll see some stuff the other big advantage for sony is that means you can convert a lot more things to sony by being the smallest every lens will be bigger than it needs to be i I think that'll be a Mm -hmm. real challenge for the Canon EOS R or the Nikon or anybody else jumping into it now is that Sony had this huge advantage of being able to adapt older SLR lenses because the, I mean, I know you know this, but because the, the flange distance was larger in DSLRs, meaning the distance from the sensor to the beginning of the lens was bigger when there was a mirror box in there. So that gives you room to add an adapter. 
right? You can screw yep. in an extra piece of kit in between. And now mm-hmm. the list, the lens is the correct distance from the sensor again. So you could adapt your Canon glass to your Sony and everything mm-hmm. worked perfectly. Um, but that's not going to be the case. You can't put Sony glass on a Canon. So if somebody has been building up a Sony kit now, yeah. they can't jump reverse ship back to a Canon and put things on there. They never will be able to. It's phys- yeah. physically couldn't possibly happen. It's not just missing adapters. Well, and I wonder if what we saw happen with filmmaking was the Canon EF mount kind of became the standard. So it was <laughs> easy to adapt to almost every format. I think it might stick around that way for like rental houses and stuff like that, yeah. because all of these different mirrorless mounts now, those lenses are going to have to be paired perfectly with those bodies to take advantage of them. Well, also seeing what happened with uh, like you know, the fact that Red builds cameras with EF and um, it's just, it's really embedded. It's deeply embedded at this point. Yeah. If I were to put together a rental lens package, it would be EF mount. Yeah. I thought it was interesting the other day shooting. Uh, so the iPhone thing I was shooting with Brandon Havard, who was on the last episode, mm-hmm. and he shoots red with an EF mount. And I started asking him questions I realized were dumb after because I was like, does does Metabones make a speed booster for uh, for red because that'd be awesome like if it'd be so nice to be able to kind of do full frame stuff but then i realized like oh wait it's already a full frame mount and you don't have that flange change that happened with sony like sony was in a relatively unique situation Mm -hmm. to be able to do all of this adapting like they really ended up in a special place and i you know we're going to look back on that as being a huge shortcut they had to hijacking the full frame industry yeah well, I, especially on their cinema cameras, it was that's what really made the Metabones take off more than like an A6000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a huge benefit. They can do it with reds. Uh, you can, uh, you know, a PL mount is a fairly short flange. Uh, it's just going to be expensive to do it. And what's nice is uh, we've kind of seen red was always bigger sensors every generation, you know, slightly bigger than Super 35, then a 1.3 crop. Now they're doing full frame. But there's been so much demand for Super 35 sensors again that I could totally see them doing a Super 35 sensor with a speed booster style adapter built into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Because mm-hmm. you can just change the mounts on red. You know, it takes an Allen key set, but you can do it. You know what I forgot to talk about in, is one of the most exciting things to me is that adapter for the Canon that adds a variable ND. Yeah. Oh, man. That is game... Uh, well, it's not game-changing yet because I'm not buying a camera. <laughs> but... Come on, where is that for everything? Yeah, I mean, they've been available from uh, on bad adapters before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, like Photodiox had one, but their electronics weren't great. Uh, it's It should be on, yeah, every single camera mount. Uh, it's kind of funny, though, because you have to choose between a standard mount with nothing on it, a mount with the clicky control dial, which I do love, or the neutral density one. You can't get a clicky with ND, um, mm-hmm. which I would love to see. But yeah, in general, I think it's awesome. My only concern when we were in Hawaii is they said, you can use the adapter, but you've got to mark all your footage with pre-production uh, because it had a very heavy, bluey cyan kind of cast to it. Okay. Uh, so I hope it's a matter of them just changing the optics in that. Yeah, Because Canon I mean, can do optics. Yeah, they, exactly. They're they can figure it. that out. But yeah, it, just the the realization that that should happen that you should make mm-hmm. that a priority it, 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 
that's the thing that keeps me looking, or it's one of the things, it's one of the really big things that keeps me looking at cinema cameras, you know, or not cinema, but like thinking like, ah, I really still need an FS7 someday um, right. or, uh, you know, a C2, C200s have NDs, right? Uh, yeah, they've got built-in three stops. Yeah, just all these things that are, are basic in these, what do you call that range of cameras actually? Because they're not really cinema. They're Yeah, I would call them like large chip broadcast yeah like high-end cinema cinematic i mean they're you know yeah. like yeah. you definitely can shoot cinema with it but typically they're used for a lot of Cinemish. commercial work um yeah like if you want to make a cinematic commercial you would use these cameras if you wanted to make a youtube show for five years use yeah those cameras. yeah yeah for sure but uh, i i always am really jealous of that because shooting on my a7 III, i'm constantly fighting just the, swapping NDs because yeah, I switched it's, using uh, variables. Do you use variables or I, I are you don't, fixed NDs? No. I, yeah. And I only have a few as well. Like I, I had a variable back in the day until I realized it was ruining so much of my footage. Yeah, and then I just I, stopped I, using them. Yeah, I never rebought one since then because after doing the research, which it's tough because there's only so many comparison reviews online, it seems yeah. like you, you just have to drop tons of money to have the good one. Like yeah, the, and even then there's your – if yeah. you adjust your exposure, suddenly your reflections can shift in a shot. It can totally ruin a shot. Right. Or the, the cross hatching that it seems yeah. to still happen. Like, uh, no, I, it, indies are not an unsolved problem. And to go back to your earlier point, like that's the kind of thing that we kept seeing at the Canon launch where we're like, Oh, this is really well thought out and future proof. Like everything about mm -hmm. the mount and adapters and everything, the lens lineup seems very smart. It's just the body. That's a letdown. The shutter closing. Yes. It closes when you're changing oh the lenses. Oh my God. This is so obvious and so perfect. Yeah. We, but can Sony not just see that and be like, Oh, right. We forgot to do that. We're going to do it now. Well, the argument has always been that your shutter blades are so fragile. Yeah, more fragile break. than the sensor. Than the sensor, yeah. God. Which, again, I don't get it. I mean, I could maybe see if you had a really bright lens on your body and you pointed it at something accidentally, you could cook your shutter and it would stop working. But I don't know, man. I, I don't get it. No, it's oh, it's the way it should be. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so that's, I mean, in the end, that's like the best news of all this is we're seeing such heavy competition. Like the, mm -hmm. everybody is just duking it out and really fighting for, in some cases, fighting for survival. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's how we got Sony leading the way is they were like, look, we want to continue to exist and we're not <laughs> going to if we don't do something crazy. And same with Sigma. Sigma was not interesting until suddenly they were incredibly interesting. So yeah, new president and suddenly the whole company changed overnight. Yeah. No, it's been great. Oh yeah. What, what do we miss here? Uh, Sony's press conference was a nothing. So I think that we got it. We did it. All right. Finally, we made it. And there's still so much more to talk about. Hey, and so I want to apologize for the level of gear nerdiness in this. Yeah. This is like a, a lot of letters and numbers one, one after the other. I don't even know. Do you, do you have any, do you have any tips? Do you want to add a hot tip on uh, how to shoot better videos here at the end? Oh, you sprung <laughs> that on. <laughs> um, okay. Then don't. Um, wired labs. Everyone go buy some wired labs right now. Oh, that's a good one. Especially because yeah. the frequency, actually, yeah, uh, public service announcement. Mm -hmm. Frequency regulations are changing in the U.S. and Canada so that all of your wireless labs 
are now illegal and you're all criminals. Um, <laughs> that's how it works, right? Yeah. Oh, at the airport, they'll just take you to the back room immediately if you try to travel with these. So, yeah. Um, the weird thing yeah. is that I'm not even sure that it's that I that's know, not a joke. Crazy. Is that so yeah. weird? Yeah. And they've been warning us for a while that this is coming. So, yeah. uh, I know back when I worked at the store, we started phasing out carrying some frequencies, but. I mean, people don't upgrade their mics as often as their cameras. I think a lot of people are going to be caught off guard when suddenly they're rolling and getting emergency government signals through their wireless labs. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's really weird. And I especially feel bad for things like schools or churches that have huge inventories. These, you know, they bought 50 of them for performances. And yeah. now they're going to have to find a budget of a few grand to replace it for no re- not no reason. I, I, I mean, I, I understand some. Things it's limited forward, bandwidth but, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I'm happy with my roads with the Wi-Fi connection. Nice. That's the yeah. future. Uh, no radio. Yeah. Um, and uh, what, I'm just also going to add iPhone XS Max, that screen. Yeah. It's so big. It, is it? <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> yeah, you should get it. Uh, okay. Can I? Let's get off gear for one second because I want your thoughts on this. I think this is really interesting. We have HDR screens on our phones now. Mm. We have HDR screens in our homes, some. Um, we're starting to see them in theaters. Why are, is there no option for me to output my photographs in HDR? We've been stuck with print or yeah. you know, a 709 display for so long. When you see a properly exposed, you have to use video editing software to do it, properly exposed still uh, on an HDR display, it is stunning. And no photographers I talk to seem to be interested in this at all. I would Why? be I would be interested. Uh, this is a good a good idea. I mean, first of all, what file format it, for stills plays back in in HDR? I mean, can a JPEG support it? A JPEG doesn't support it now. So, uh, the only way to do it is yeah, you have to take it into video editing software, stretch out the file, or do that to a raw file, and then export it as a video file that plays as a slideshow. But okay, it's crazy. does HEVC, sorry, I'm actually forgetting, is HEVC the name of the video f- format? Okay, so what's the name of the That's photo the format? That's the really efficient one. Um, I don't know the name of the, because I know there's a standard coming, because people are capturing HDR on these phones now, and it's displaying it on the phone. But there's no great way to share it yet. You know, well, shoot something with my digital camera with 14 stops, and have it show up on an HDR display yet. And I know, so I know that, so uh, HEIF, H-E-I-F, yeah, ah, so yeah. that that is a derivative of H-E-V-C. It, it is using the video codec to, oh, wait, I thought we were getting off in nerdy stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we are again, just back into acronym land. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go a little further. Let's see if we can dig it out. Right. Uh, yeah, so the, the new format, which is what uh, iPhones use by default, um, it's based on the video codec. I bet there is HDR support in there. I'm sure there is. Um, so that it, it must be hiding in Heath yeah. as well. How do how do I how do I get my raw files into that, Tyler? Uh, when is this when is this going to happen? When will when will yeah. photographers care? Yeah, and it, it, that's been a big issue. Is a lot of the software doesn't support saving into Heath. Like you can only mm-hmm. read it, but you can't write to it. And it seems like there's actually going to be licensing issues. Kelly Thompson that is on this show. Actually the, f- the first episode of this show, we went really technical on it and Kelly was complaining about it because he has, um, he, he's probably the one to talk to actually. It'd be, maybe I should yeah. get both of you on an episode together because not that many people are interested, but he's fighting the fight for higher quality image formats. Yeah. And um, 
stuff like that. So, well, yeah. if you use the full dynamic range that your A7 III is capable of, like it looks like horrible HDR, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, let's put it on a display so we can use that properly. <laughs> and it, it, it's also the um, time is now. Yeah, yeah, it's coming any day now. Uh, it's also something we're able to make that progress with color uh, profiles. You know, we we yeah. have been moving to P3 or. Uh, you know, just wider color gamuts. They've been getting picked up. It's been happening. Yeah, it, it just seems uh, like even a camera that shoots RAW plus JPEG give me RAW plus an HEIF that will display properly on my smartphone or All right. TV. You, you, you heard them, industry. Make it happen. Get back to the drawing boards. Uh, the, I want to see these new Panasonic cameras saving directly into Heath. Oh, I, I got some contacts. I'll make some calls. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, John. Let's uh, keep an eye out for your videos. I'm sure there'll be a few of them coming soon on DP Review. There'll be a full dump this week. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, and thank you again to Setup for sponsoring this episode. 